Welcome to Visibility Radio. I'm Kenneth Poir, and this program is entitled Just Why It Matters. We'll be talking to people who are subject experts as well as people who live with a vision impairment and other forms of disabilities. My guests and I will cover a range of topics including arts, sports, communications and a whole lot more. Anything that will make a difference to live a full life. So join us on Just Why It Matters. Hello and welcome again. Thank you for being with us on this episode of Just Why It Matters. And I am Kenneth Poir, your host. And I'm glad to have my guest in the studio with us today. He is none other than Sergeant Matthew Sharp, who is the Community Engagement Coordinator right here in Western Australia. Welcome and thanks for coming in to be with us. Oh, thank you very much for inviting me, Kenneth, and what a great opportunity to speak to some of your listeners. <laughs> well, it's great that you're in here because um, as we were talking al- along just now before we got into the studios, I think the perception sometimes out there of the police is so, so wrong. You guys are the good guys, and sometimes uh, parents um, do the wrong thing by saying, if you're naughty, I'll call the police, and that <laughs> sort of creates um, the wrong idea, doesn't it? Yeah, well, look, there are a few things that police do. Obviously, we're out there to catch the bad guys, to enforce the law for the people who do the wrong thing. But there's so much more to police work that often doesn't get seen. People like myself are working quite closely with government and non-government organisations behind the scenes to really prevent crime in the first place. Right. Now, you've touched on the first point that I wanted to discuss. I've been schooled in the field of risk management... Oh, to wow. some extent. <laughs> and I was told that there were three parts to it. That's preventative, which is a state of preparedness. There's also the crisis management and there's the disaster recovery. So perhaps we can start with you giving us a shot in the arm about what it means to be prepared and perhaps keeping in mind the person who is vision impaired. Absolutely. Look, unfortunately... Uh, There are some people in our society who do tend to pick on easy targets. And those people might be picking on people because they're elderly or they come from a different cultural background and they don't speak English as well as you and I might. Or it might be someone who is impaired in some way, be that visually or they might be uh, in a wheelchair, for example. So in terms of there are some simple things that you can do Uh, that a person can do to try and prevent themselves from being the victim of crime. Uh, And some of those personal safety tips, I'm happy to explore a a bit with you and your listeners as we go. Um, But some of them, the things, as you suggested, are being prepared. Um, Being prepared for what may happen in the worst case. There's no need to be alarmed, right? People who are visually impaired or people who... Um, come from a different cultural background are not more likely to be victims of crime. Okay, so there's no need to be too concerned about that and overly concerned. But you do need to be aware that, unfortunately, some members of our society see you as an easy target. Mm. So having a plan, if something goes wrong, what am I going to do? If I'm walking alone at night, where am I going to walk? How am I going to walk? To be aware of your surroundings is really important. Right. So, and also a good dose of common sense. 
Absolutely. We get some of our younger people walking around on the streets with their iPhones out, and <laughs> headphones in, nonchalant, not even aware of their surroundings. Yeah. Right? And they might walk down a dark laneway and, you know what, just by the fact that they're doing that makes it more likely they might be a victim of crime. Right. Compared with someone who's walking around, has their handbag or their, their wallet tightly in their pocket or their handbag around their shoulder and is aware and alert of their surroundings. Yeah. Now, the other thing that's probably relevant here is safe havens. We would think that our homes are safe havens, but that's not necessarily true if you don't have a state of preparedness. What do you think are some of the biggest mistakes that people make in securing their homes? Well, the biggest thing that has been seen is that some people inadvertently forget to do a couple of things. So they might forget to lock their door if they're at the back, the front door, if they're at the back watering the lawn. Or they might decide, you know what, it's a really hot night, I'll just leave the window open all night <laughs> without a secure fly screen before I go to bed. It's okay, nothing will happen. Right. Um, so... Just taking some simple steps like locking that security screen door if you're going to be out the out the back watering or if you're having a chat to someone on the phone and not just leaving it unlocked and open. Same with the windows. Are there any gimmicky little ideas that would help deter someone who's thinking of breaking in or you know committing a crime when you're at home? Absolutely. Offenders don't like being in the light. They generally do things in the darkness and they do things because of opportunity. So if there's an opportunity to break into a house, it's in darkness and it's not very secure. There's shrubs unpruned around it and there's letters piled up in the letterbox mm. and it's down a dark street. You know what? They'll choose that place rather than the place next door, which is well lit, which has solid locks, which has security lighting, that kind of thing. So having security lighting, showing that your house is well cared for, making sure that the windows and doors are locked, and certainly if someone knocks on the door, don't be afraid to answer and let someone know that you're there. Mm -hmm. Don't necessarily open the door, but let them know that someone is home. Now, I want to touch on the advent of new technologies. I understand that technology is now very easy to deploy in the home setting that will, I suppose, improve or enhance the security systems. What are some of the things that someone who's visually impaired can now gain access to? There's several things that someone who's visually impaired can gain access to. I think one of the most important things that anyone can do, whether you're visually impaired or not, is knowing your neighbours and having a good relationship with your, with your neighbours. So if something happens, make a noise and your neighbours can come and, and look out for you. Mm. But in terms of technology, having a phone or a way of communicating with others is really important. So there are some apps that you can get, like Emergency Plus. And that's fantastic that you can download, it's free, and you don't even have to speak. It dials directly to our police operations centre and gives a latitude and longitude. So as soon as you press that button, it can basically give your location and you can talk. 
and someone will be able to hear you at the other end. Oh, that's fabulous. That's a really good tip. Now, let's move on to crisis management. If the worst does occur and you find yourself in a very uncomfortable situation and your security or your safety is compromised, what would you advise? Well, certainly I would advise not to fight with the offender because we don't want to see anyone be further hurt or further a victim of crime. It goes back to being prepared uh, in some respects so that you've got a plan. If someone breaks into your house, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? I always encourage people to have a bit of a safe room, a safe place where they can go, a lockable room, maybe with no windows that someone could smash, that they can lock themselves in where they get phone reception. So they can phone police on triple zero in their case of emergency so that they can get the help that they need from police. But certainly if you are confronted with an offender and someone asks you for money or you know threatens mm. you, give the offender what they want. All right. But at the same time, try and remember as much detail as you can about the offender. Right. And sure, some of your listeners, their eyesight might not be as fantastic as others, but there are things that you can do mm. apart from uh, visual cues that can assist police in at the apprehension mm. of offenders. So things like, was there a certain odour the offender had? Could you feel their jackets or, you know, what were they wearing? What silhouette did they have? What did they say to you and, and, and how did they say it? What did their voice sound like? All of these things can assist police in the apprehension of that person afterwards. But I always suggest it's a really good idea to have a plan in place should something happen right, to you. Right. Have an idea of what you're going to do. So... For instance, if, you, if you're walking in some of the evenings now, it's a bit lighter still, it's still a bit warmer, you can go for a walk out the front of your property or around, and you're walking along the street, always keep in the back of your mind, if something happens to me, if someone comes up to me and, and asks me something, what am I going to do? If someone threatens me, what could I do? It might be as simple as, okay, if someone's going to come up to me and ask me and demand my bag, okay, I'm going to give it to them. Always walk with my phone in my pocket so after that I can phone police. Or if I've got a duress alarm, something that can make a panic alarm and you can get them on little key rings, talking about technology as before, they can just pull it and it emanates a high-pitched squeal which draws people to what's happening and it can scare the offender off. So having been prepared, having a plan in your head, really will make it less likely that you're likely to be a victim of crime. If you find yourself in an outdoor situation, have you seen or have you heard of cases where a visually impaired person has been able to ooh, get himself out of an uncomfortable tangle or has been actually involved in an altercation? What sort of stories have you um, encountered in cases? Look, the good thing is for your listeners, there's... I guess contrary to popular belief and what you may see in the media, there's not too many people who are visually impaired being attacked, which is fantastic, really. Mm. The good thing is when people are picked on, and we do see cases of people with certain vulnerabilities being picked on, some of these people have had their handbags stolen. Some of these people come from different countries where they carry their passports with them and a lot of uh, quantity of cash. That's just asking for trouble. So being aware of your surroundings, mm. 
having a plan in place right and knowing what number to call police is really important yeah a very good place to start absolutely right now let's move on to what is pretty much all around us right now, especially with the younger people. They call themselves the millennials or people call them the millennials <laughs> and the generations after that. And the dependence on social media. And I hear so many different things and I watch so many different, well, try to watch, <laughs> yeah. being legally blind. I try to watch uh, some of these videos about stories where interaction on social media has translated into physical bouts of insecurity. How does one arm himself or herself with a state of alertness when they're on social media? Well, there are a few things that you can do. And, and as you uh, alluded to, social media can be really fantastic, but it's a double-edged sword. Hmm. So you've got to be really careful about the information that you put out there. So it might be as simple as you might like posting on social media, but be aware that you might want to take your location services off and turn them off so that people can't see where you're posting from because that can give people an idea of where you might be or where you might not be. So that's one little tip. The other thing is social media is fantastic from a police perspective. So we use Facebook as WA Police Force, but we also utilise Twitter. Our police stations, they use Twitter. And it's a great way of communicating very quickly uh, with the community. And there are a couple of different other products that we utilise in the event of an emergency to get out a vast volume of information out to members of our community because, you know what, we need their yeah. assistance too to apprehend offenders. Which opens the door to my next part of the conversation. You spoke about community engagement outside of just the, the usual spaces. You talked about working with government and non-government organisations to sort of widen the number of eyes and ears pressed to the ground to keep things on the safer side. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, interesting that you mention that because we as police, we can't solve a lot of the problems in our community by ourselves. So we really rely on working in partnership with local government, with non-government organisations to assist us to do our job. So there's a couple of projects that I'm involved in, uh, the Gone in Less Than 60 Seconds project, which is working with local government to kind of give the community some awareness about not being the victim of crime when it comes to stealing from motor vehicles, which is something that's happening all over the metropolitan area. We're getting a lot of offences and stealings occurring mm. from people who have things stolen out of their cars for a variety of reasons. They may have left their wallet in the car for five seconds or their phone to jump out and get something or they might have just accidentally forgot to lock their car and thieves are looking for that they're not afraid to smash a window grab something like a wallet and then go and use that paywave paypass card to convict other further offences. I see. Okay. So not only do you have to wear the, the cost of a damaged car, you've also got um, the possibility of getting your bank account uh, broken into. Absolutely. But look, I'm pretty fortunate in the South East Corridor to be working with a whole lot of agencies like Save the Children on the South East Corridor Youth Partnership Project, which is a fantastic initiative. It's recently been mentioned in federal parliament several times. We're looking at doing things in a better way, 
not necessarily creating extra services, but finding the right services for the right kids to prevent them going down that track and leading to further offending behavior. Right, okay, so if I'm correct, I am hearing, talking to children who may fall into the high risk category of becoming um, involved in crime. Absolutely, and look, it's a complex issue. And we refer to some of those kids as young kids with complex needs. They're not necessarily what we would term prolific priority offenders at the moment, but they might come from a family of generational crime where their parents have been imprisoned and they see that as being the only option. Or they might be led astray on the path to being led astray by older siblings who have been in contact with police. Mm, Or toxic friends. Absolutely. So we're working with a lot of different organisations within the South East Corridor to try and give these young people some opportunity and some hope and some mentorship to try and prevent them going down one path and bringing them along the straight and narrow. Right. Now, I love the fact that you've used the word hope because um, it's the sense of hopelessness that sometimes causes an implosion in someone's choice of actions and behaviour. Absolutely. And a couple of incidents have occurred lately and it might be that someone is doing everything well and they just have that one moment where they snap and they do something and they haven't really thought about the consequences that their actions will have. Right. And all of a sudden they're in a really messy situation. Right. So we want to work with young people particularly to try and prevent them making that snap poor decision that yeah. can alter the outcome for them and it can change the course of their lives. Fantastic, because as they say, virtue is a habit, which is a good habit, and doing the right thing even if someone isn't looking at you. Absolutely. And look, I'm a father of a young boy, and he's 11, and I see the difficulties that some young people have when they're going to be growing up. I see what my son's friends are talking about and what they're dealing with, And it's great as a father to be able to provide hope for these kids and say, hey, not everything's so bad. There are some great opportunities in life. You just have to work hard and you just have to make sure you take the right steps that you can to give yourself all the opportunities that you can have. That's wonderful. Let's move on to the final part, which is recovery. For someone who's been a victim or someone who's fallen into a situation where he or she has had, if you will, um, safety breached, how does one recover psychologically or, you know, intellectually? Oh, that's a really good question. And unfortunately, I'm sure some of your listeners have been the victims of crime. Mm. And I hate that. I've been the victim of crime myself, and you feel violated when you're the victim of crime. My home was broken into a while ago, and it's a horrible feeling. Mm. And your own personal safety and your own personal haven is compromised, and it just feels horrible. But one of the things that you can do is to remember that it doesn't last for a while. It's not going to carry on. And that don't blame yourself. And that's a big thing. Don't think, oh, well, what happens if I've done this? I could have done this better. You know what? It's already happened. Learn that lesson and move forward. That's one thing that I can suggest. 
Yeah, right. Now, just going back to that conversation, that part of the conversation where you're working with organisations, now the city councils are going out there and they all have this thing called the DAPE, which is the Disability Access and Inclusive Plan. Yep. Do you think that offers an opportunity of incorporating some of these um, standards and measures of safety and security? Yeah, look, certainly. I know some local governments that I work with, they have community safety and community development officers and disability services officers working out of the same office. And some local governments, depending on where you live, offer some really fantastic services that can assist you in your home. Things like security appraisals, which are fantastic. So if you're concerned about how you can upgrade your security in your home, you can contact your local government authority and they can actually send people out there to come and have a look and make some recommendations, just some simple things that you can do to improve your home security. might be a simple thing, believe it or not, having a dog is a great way of not getting your home broken into. (laughs) But it is really important to have all of our community on board because we don't want to see people being the victims of crime particularly because they have a disability. Hmm. What about neighbourhoods? I mean, local neighbourhoods. Is there an initiative to develop some better sense of neighbours looking after neighbours in a sort of a structured and formalised education system? Well, you've touched on a really good point. Neighbourhood Watch. Within the South East Corridor, there are some really active Neighbourhood Watch groups coming together. And that is a fantastic way of not only being together with other like-minded people and improving your own personal security and, and sense of community, but it's also a great way to give back to others and be part of it. So some neighbourhood watch groups actually following the um, a break-in at someone's house, they might do what we call cocooning the street. They might knock on every door uh, within that area and advise them, hey, look, someone's been broken into in your street. Here's a, here's a brochure. Here's, here's some simple steps that you can do so that that doesn't happen again. Be alert. Be aware of what's going on around in your area. Now, to round off our conversation, where does one go to find out all these really, really cool things that they can do to keep themselves and their neighbours safe? And if you're a vision-impaired person, is the website accessible for us to actually have access to that information and content? Well, certainly I would say the WA Police Force website is a fantastic start. There's quite a bit of crime prevention advice that is on there, which is open to and free to the public. Now, I believe some of it is actually on audio as well. Right. So that's one avenue that you can do. But also subscribing, if you want to, to your local police Facebook page, where there are also videos that are posted. And also things like eWatch, which is a local government initiative in partnership with WA Police Force, which again can send you out information that might be relevant to the area in which you live. Can you give us a couple of addresses or a telephone number where we can actually um, pick the phone up or jump onto the internet to have a look at those things? Oh, here we go. communitysafety.police.wa.gov.au is a great way of going through there. WA Police website is www.police.wa.gov.au. Neighbourhood Watch is www.nhw.wa.gov.au. Fantastic. Now, we've had a fabulous conversation with Sergeant Matthew Sharp, 
who is the Community Engagement Coordinator for the WA Police. Matthew, thank you so much for coming in to speak with us, and we will definitely be checking out all those websites. Excellent. Thank you very much for your time, Kenneth, and I wish all your listeners a very good day. Thank you very much. And this is Kenneth Poir signing out. And this episode was edited by Matthew Clark.